give him a little bit of praise tonight. When we come into his presence, everything's okay. When we come into his presence, everything's made whole. When we come into his presence, there's nothing that cannot happen in this place tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank you for your presence that's in this place. I thank you for your anointing that's in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Everyone says amen. Amen. Well, pastor's away. Brother Shane's away. So you get stuck with me. I've been in prayer and I believe I've heard from the Lord. And I believe he's going to minister to somebody tonight. We're going to go before our Bibles tonight. We're going to open them up. We're going to turn to Job chapter 1. We're going to lay a little bit of foundation in the beginning. Then the middle and the end will all fly by and we'll see what the Lord does in this place. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschews evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hath not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath? On every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thine power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for each and every individual, Lord, that has made it out to the house of God. Each and every individual has made it out online. We ask you, Lord, that you would minister in this place, Lord, that you would anoint the lips of your speaker, Lord, and you would anoint the ears of every hearer, God, not only to hear, God, but to receive what you have for them tonight. In the name of Jesus, we give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone says amen. You may be seated. For the next few moments, and I promise I won't be very long, and any of you that know me, Know that I like to get to the point and let God do the rest. So I'm going to preach to you for a few moments on this thought. Never give up. Never give up. So let's lay a little bit of foundation tonight. Our first verse tells us that Job was perfect and upright and one that feared God and shunned evil. So we don't hear much about Job prior to this, and so we can go right from this verse and say that he was an outstanding guy. The Lord, in the first verse, says he's perfect and upright. I'm sure he had some flaws. The word perfect is probably used loosely, if you will. 
But if we continue to read on the life of Job, we find that Job was the greatest of men in all of the East. His name was known. When you mention Job's name in the area or any of the surrounding areas, people knew who Job was. You see, Job had seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a great big house to live in. He was great in the land. The first thing that came to mind as I began to study the life of Job the last day, day and a half is in verse 1 how God tells us how much He loves God. But in the very next verse, it tells us how much Job has. See, the first verse says he's an outstanding guy. He's upright. He's, he's just, he shuns evil. And the next verse, it goes on to tell us what Job's possessions are. And so I, I kind of correlated the two and said, because Job was an outstanding guy, he trusted God, he loved God, he gave God his all, God began to bless him many years ago. And we're, we're, at, we're far down the story now, and we're seeing that Job has been blessed for many years. He didn't acquire 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 oxen, and 500 oxen or donkeys overnight. He acquired those through time, and he acquired those through the blessings of God because he was upright and eschewed evil. Sort of the same way we can go back and we, we could look at Noah and say, you know, Noah was called and, and God called Noah because Noah was just in all the land. That's the type of person that Job was. Proverbs tells us in 28.20, the faithful man shall abound with blessings. So I'm here to tell you tonight, if you will get the mindset of Job... And you'll begin to say, I want to be like Job. I want to be, I want God to look down and say, he's upright. He's just. He has choose evil. When we begin to do that, we'll begin to see the blessings of the Lord. We don't do it for the blessings of the Lord. We don't do it and say, oh, you know, I want to, I'm doing it because I want to be rich and I want God to, to bless my, we do it, we, we want him to bless us, but that's not the only reason we do it. And just because you serve God, just because you're faithful does not mean you'll become a millionaire. But it does mean you will not go without. You see, the Lord began to brag on Job in that first verse. And that's when Satan said, well, of course he's just. Of course he's upright. Of course he's, he chooses evil. Of course he does all that. You've got this hedge about him. You've got this bubble about him. Nobody can touch him. He, he, he's, he, he's untouchable. And, and, and you bless him here and you bless him there. And, and you bless him with, with great things. And you bless him with a big house. And you, you bless him with many livestock. And, and so why wouldn't he be? And I see the Lord just kind of look over and kind of smile because the Lord knew what kind of man Job was. It's all right. I'll play your game. You can touch anything that belongs to Job, but you can't lay a hand on him. And I see the devil as he smirks and he walks out 
and thinks, I've got him now. I've, I've thrown everything I can at Job, and it just doesn't work. And, you know, I've tried to get him to fall. I've tried to get him to stumble. I've, I've tried to get him to fail. I've tried to get him to curse God. I've, I've tried to get him to turn his back on God. And, and you know, every time I do, there's, there, there's blessings there, blessings there, blessings there. And so now I've got him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy everything he has. So these verses are not up there because I'm just going to illustrate them. But from verse 14 to 19, we begin to read. A messenger runs in and says, Job, the oxen and the donkey, they were feeding all together. And the Sabians, which is a group of South America, uh, sorry, Arabians fell upon them and took the livestock and killed the servants. So God said, touch whatever you want, but don't touch him. Right afterwards, we read a servant runs in. While that servant's still standing there, another servant runs in and says, the fire of God fell from heaven. It struck the sheep and the servants that were tending them, and they were all consumed. And while that servant was still standing there, and the two of them are still trying to get Job's attention and tell him what's going on, another one runs in and says, it, and says the Chaldeans came, and, and they took all of the camels, and they slew the servants with the sword. I don't know about you, but if that was me, my heart would already be, un, be sinking. He just lost all of his livestock. He just lost all of his sheep. He lost several servants. But if that wasn't bad enough, in verse 18, while yet they were still speaking and still there, another runs in and says, Job, your children were all in the eldest son's house, and, and a great wind came from the side and blew the house over, and, and it came down, and they've all been killed. They're all dead. But Job lost everything in a matter of moments, if you will. In a matter of just a short period of time, he lost everything just about that he had. He lost his children. He lost his livestock. He lost, and the livestock back then was his wealth. And the devil's sitting there, and he's shaking, and he's putting his hands together. And I can see as he says, okay, here we go. Grand finale right here. Job is going to curse God. He is going to scream and holler at him. He's, he is going to let him have it. But what do we find happen? The very next verse says, And Job got up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell on the ground. And he worshipped. And he worshipped. I don't know about you, but that was probably, in my mind, a very hard thing to do. My mind would be everywhere else but, but worshiping. My mind would be, what can I do to try to fix this? What can I, what, what, where can I go? I've got to go see my children. I've got to go make sure. I've got to go help. But no, Job said no. I, he fell on the ground and he began to worship God. He began to give him praise. He began to love on God. He began to show the devil that there ain't nothing you can do that's going to get me to curse my God. And tonight, some of you might be going through it. Some of you might be going through it financially. Some of you might be going through it with your health. Some of you might be going through it with a family member. Some of you might be going through it with the pastor. I don't know, but I'm here to tell you tonight, if you'll just fall on your face and you'll begin to worship God, all things will come 
full circle for you. And this is what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. My, the, my, may the name of the Lord be praised. That's what he said after losing nearly everything. The Bible said, in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame anybody. He just worshipped. He went to God. His worshiping was probably, God, what do I do now? That was probably his worship. God, where do I turn? God, what do you want me to do? God, what, what, what you're trying to attention. What, what do you want me to do? And if we would turn to God in every situation and not look for somebody or something to blame, God could speak to us and direct us and guide us to where He wants us to be. So as if this is, wasn't enough to prove to Satan that Job was faithful to the extent, to the fullest extent, this should have been enough for Satan to step back and say, well, I guess you are right, God. He, he is faithful. He, he is just. He is perfect. Because this should have destroyed him. But if that wasn't enough, Satan goes back to God. And as he walks in, what does God do again? Uh, Satan, have you seen my servant over there? The same one that you were here last time about? He's perfect. He's just. He's upright. And he shuns evil. And Satan says, well, yeah, of course he does. You don't, nothing happens to him. If it's it's skin to skin, he will curse you because life is the most important thing to him. And I see as the Lord would smirk again. Well, we go for round two. Okay, you can touch Job, but you cannot take his life. So the devil leaves the presence of God with the intent on doing everything he can to Job. And we find, and just a few verses later, we find Job sitting in ashes under a tree, boils from the top of his head, soles of his feet, protruding off of his skin, and, and he's cutting them with a piece of broken pottery to burst them. But wait, listen. Listen. I don't hear him cursing God. Listen. I, 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 don't, I don't hear any negativity. Listen. I, I, I don't hear him moaning and grumbling and complaining. The Bible doesn't say it, but I, I see Job and he sits there and, and he takes up potter and he bursts one of those and he, thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I give you the praise today, Lord. I give you all of me today, God. And we stub our toe and we blame God for it. We walk into the couch in the middle of the night and we, and we scream at God, why'd you put that couch there? 
when God's just saying, give me a little bit of praise in your trouble. Give me a little bit of tr praise in your situation. Give me a little bit of praise in your infirmity. Because I'm going to come through. God's timing is always the best timing. Sometimes we want to push him along. Sometimes we want to help him. Sometimes we want to give him the map to get there. And God says, if you'll just wait on me, I'll get you there. Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, what happens next? His wife comes out and says, do you still retain your integrity, Job? You've lost your sons. You've lost your daughters. You've lost all of your livestock. You've lost all of your wealth. You're sitting here in a pile cutting boils off your skin. Have you lost all of your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? And in Job chapter 2 and verse 10, Job responds and he says, But he hath said unto her, Thou speakest as a foolish woman. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. The person that he would have expected to support him the most comes out and says, Job, curse God and die. Be the best thing you can do at this point. He says, no. No. God's been too good to me. God's been too good to me. Can, can I not receive the blessings and then, and then when the bad comes, curse him? No. He, he blessed me here and I'm going to continue to praise him when it ain't so good. I'm going to continue to praise Him when things aren't going my way. You see, when you're on the mountaintop, it's easy to shout. When you're on the mountaintop, it's easy to praise God. When you're on the mountaintop, it's easy to be right on cloud nine. But when you're in the valley, you need to be in the same place. When you're in the valley, you still need to call out to God. When you're in the valley, you still need to love Him. When you're in the valley, you still need to praise Him. When you're in the valley, you still need to trust Him because He's still there. Just because, as Job put it, evil has come, or bad things have come, or bad things have happened, doesn't mean God has forsaken you. In Hebrews, he says, I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. And if we just trust him, everything will be okay. We move into chapter 3. We find Job is at his lowest point of his life he's probably ever been in. I'm not going to read them, but for the next 24 verses, Job tells God exactly how he feels. For the next 24 verses, he talks to God face to face, if you will. He begins to tell God how he feels. He begins to curse the day he was born. He begins to curse his existence. But note, 
that in all 24 verses, Job never once cursed God or blamed God. This stands out to me because as humans, our first instinct is to look for someone to blame and take eyes off of us. It's, it's human nature. We've all done it. We'll all do it again. Ever since the Garden of Eden, it's been human nature to look around for someone to blame when something has gone wrong. Adam and Eve heard God walking in the cool of the day and hid. And God asked them a question. Where are you? Of course, he already knew where they were. But what happens then has stayed with humans, the human nature ever since. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Well, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, so, sorry. <laughs> have you noticed? You ask, who left the toilet seat up? You go through the house. Well, I haven't used it all day, not me. Well, I haven't used it for three days, so it wasn't me. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame and nobody wants to accept the fault. His cry in those 24 verses was an expression of his pain and despair, not a cry of defiance against God. It is always okay to express your doubts and your honest emotions to the Lord in prayer. He knows them, so why not Talk to him about it. Rather than talk to somebody else about it, that's going to talk to somebody else about it, and then it just travels around and ends up being something it shouldn't be. It's okay to go to God and say, God, I'm really mad today. This happened or that happened or the other happened or, and, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and you can scream and holler in your prayer closet and God's okay with that. Because when it's all said and done, he's going to come down. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you joy. And he's going to let you begin to see things clearly. He's going to say, I've got this if you'll just let me. I was just waiting for you to bring it to me. I was waiting for you to ask me. I was waiting for you to bring the situation to me. I bring my son to God every day. And I say, God, I want to see him saved. I want to see him living for you. And you know what? I don't get frustrated because it hasn't happened yet. I don't get discouraged because it hasn't happened yet. I just keep trusting. God knows timing. And in his time, I will see him back here. And if you get in that same mind frame and say, God, I got unsaved loved ones. I got loved ones that have been ill for a long time. I got loved ones that are suffering some, from some infirmity. And you'll begin to trust him. And you'll continue to pray. And you'll continue to pray. And continue to pray. It's going to happen on God's time. To get to God with our mis to go to God with our misery, our heartache, is never wrong. Jesus himself asked God the question, My God, my God, 
why hast thou forsaken me? It's okay to go to God and lay it all on the line. Because Job never wavered in his love for God through everything, God blessed him over and over again. If we could only learn from Job. You see, in 42 and 12, and the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, which is twice as much. He had 6,000 camels, which is twice as much. He had 1,000 oxen, which is twice as much. He had 1,000 donkeys, which is twice as much as he had before. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And he lived another 140 years and watched his grandchildren to the fourth generation. Because he trusted God. Because he loved God. Because he didn't allow Satan to put things into his life. He didn't allow Satan to put things into his mind. He didn't allow Satan to discourage him. And when we get discouraged, you might as well hang it up. Because that's when the devil gets his foot in the door. Take discouragement and throw it out. In Jesus' name. Told you I wouldn't be very long. I've only got seven more pages of notes. <laughs> and honestly, I don't usually use my notes very much. But tonight I am. All right, so now we're going to move into the middle of the end and see what God's going to do. Joseph the dreamer struggled, but he always loved God. I'm not going to dictate the whole life of Joseph. What I can tell you is Joseph loved God, even when his brother sold him into slavery. Even when Potiphar's wife accused him. And he ended up back in jail. All the way through, it seems like he ran one hurdle after another, one hurdle after another. But in the end, Joseph was second in command over Egypt because he loved God. Because he turned his back on evil, just like Job did. In Genesis 32 and 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled a man with him until the break of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And I like this part right here. And it says, and he said, and Jacob said, I will not let thee go except you bless me. I will not let you go except you bless me. You see, Jacob, we can't really look and say he was just upright and, and all that like we can Job because we know Jacob was a deceiver. We know in the early days that Jacob deceived his father to get the birthright. We know that Jacob deceived his father to get the blessing, which is all the plan of God. But, but, but Jacob was not totally in the right in what he did. And Jacob is sent off to live with his uncle Laban because his brother's going to kill him. And probably rightfully so. And while he's with his 
Uncle Laban, we find that Jacob falls in love. And he makes an agreement with his Uncle Laban and says, I will work seven years for you for Rebekah's hand in marriage. And the agreement is made and Jacob works and works and works until that seven years is up and the wedding day comes and he is married and after the marriage ceremony he finds that he was deceived and he is now married to Leah. I wonder if that's coincidence or if that was just God saying this is what it feels like to deceive somebody. So Jacob works seven more years until he gets his bride that he wants. I'm just skipping through this story real quick. And then the Lord tells him to go back home. Jacob had a little bit of fear of going back home. He had deceived his brother years and years ago. He had stolen the blessing. He had stolen the birthright. He had made his brother very, very angry to where his brother had made the statement he was going to kill him. But the Lord said to go home. And so this is where we're at in our story tonight. We find Jacob is all alone. They have traveled. They're nearing the site of where they're going to reunite with Esau. And he divides his family. He sends them different directions. And he stays alone where he wrestles with God. And as day breaks, the angel says, let go of me. The day is breaking. And he says, I will not let go of you unless you bless me. It was at that point in Jacob's life that he received his blessing. He said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Jacob means supplanter, deceiver. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name now will be Israel. And he went on to do mighty things for God. But I've said all of that tonight to say this. Jacob wrestled with the angel. Tonight, if you have a situation in your life, tonight, if you have a situation in your home, tonight, if you have an infirmity that is affecting your body or a body of a family member or friend. Tonight, if you have a situation that you don't know what to do, where to go or where to turn, I'm going to encourage you to begin to fight with the angel tonight, if you will. And not only fight with the angel tonight, but not let go until you get your blessing. Not let go until you receive what you need. If you've got a family member tonight that's in dire need, they need you to find the face of God. They need you to reach out to the face of God for them. And if you will begin to fight, and you will begin to pray, and you will begin to ask God for Him to minister and to touch that situation, He will do it. You see, every night, every night we have church, we bring these prayer requests before God. And somebody might say, well, you know, that name's been on the list a very long time. We should just take it off. No, we should not take it off. 
Because God wants to do a work. God wants to bless. God wants us to continue to trust. God wants us to know that he will do it in his timing. In the name of Jesus. Brother Joey, will you come back to the keyboard? Give them a little bit of hope. You have unsaved loved ones. The devil has lied to you and told you your prayers are not being heard. You've been praying for them for a long time, so just stop praying. It's not going to happen. That's what he wants you to think. You struggle with the spirit of infirmity in your life, and the devil has told you, well, you know, you've, you've prayed for three weeks, four weeks, a year, two years, three years, and it hasn't happened, so you might as well just stop praying. It ain't going to happen. Jacob never let go of the angel until he received his blessing. You need to hear the word of the Lord tonight. Keep praying. Don't let go of that spiritual angel until your prayer is met. Do you want to see your prayers come to pass more than the devil wants to keep you where you're at in your life today? Nobody ever said it would be easy, but Jesus said, I will always be with you. I will never leave you, never forsake you. There was a time in your life where Jesus reached down into the miry clay and he pulled you out of that mess. Every one of us were in a mess. Every one of us were in a mess of some sort. Even if it was just plain out lost, you were in a mess. You were on your way to a devil's hell. And Jesus reached down and he pulled you out of that place. And he set your feet on a rock called Jesus Christ. When he begins a work, he promises that he'll follow it through. You see, my God's a perfectionist. He doesn't start something that he doesn't plan to bring to perfection. He doesn't pull us out of the miry clay and set us down and say, there, you just look like a big, big glob of clay now. No, he begins to chisel away. He begins to cut away. He begins to wash away. He begins to polish. He begins to say, we're getting there. We're getting there little by little, but, but we're getting there. And if we continue to let him chip, if we continue to let him polish, pretty soon we become an individual that God can use, an individual that God can speak through, an individual God can place in a Sunday school room and can teach a Sunday school child, an individual that can go, to a, go on a bus run and go into a dirty home and get a kid ready for Sunday school and bring them in to Sunday school, an individual that can go and go into a youth service and begin to minister to youth, an individual that can begin to sing on the platform or whatever it might be, whatever your ministry is, God can use you and God can bless you, but hang on until you get what you need. Don't let the devil destroy you. Don't let the devil put thoughts into your mind of confusion. Let's all stand. one of us have a situation we can think of right now whether it's for ourselves or for a family member that needs God to intervene whether
whether it's spiritually, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whatever it might be, we all have somebody that we can go to an altar, grab a hold of an angel, and say, I'm not leaving here, God, until you touch and you say the name. These altars are open. And I'd encourage each and every one of you tonight to find an angel's leg to grab a hold of and say, I am not letting go until you touch and you call out that name. You call out that person. You call out that situation. In the name of Jesus, let's find a place to pray.